There's no I in team, but there is one in Indeed. And that's the hiring platform that you need to build yours. When you're hiring, you need Indeed. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed's a powerful hiring platform that can help you do it all. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because Indeed does the hard work for you. They show you the candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your description immediately after you post so you can hire faster. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. And support the show by saying that you heard it on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And welcome back, everybody, to another edition of Benched with Bubba. This is episode 30. Uh, this will be a Sweet 16 Elite 8 preview edition. And tonight I am joined by David Demand2 from Twitter. That's where you guys will know him from. Uh, great sports capper, sports mind. He's been around for quite a while. Uh, you can find his picks and everything at DavidDemand2.com. David, how are we doing tonight? doing well man glad to be on here awesome yeah thanks for joining me i appreciate it um yeah we're just gonna get into it uh everybody loves the madness everyone loves the opening weekend many were disappointed that the uh the opening rounds were as some were saying chalky which you know too bad i thought it was still good basketball some didn't some did um thursday thursday was we really only saw like one or two top or uh, I say higher seeds win. What was like, do you have any major takeaways from, you know, the Thursday, Friday action per se? And we'll kind of, we'll sum it together. Cause like I said, there wasn't a ton of upsets. Right. Right. Um, yeah. For the most part, I'm with you. You know, there, there weren't a ton of upsets. Um, however, in the early wave, you know, we had a couple close calls with, uh, Notre Dame, you know, barely squeaking by Princeton. Uh, UNC Wilmington put a little bit of a scare into Virginia. Um, Bucknell for a while was kind of hanging around against West Virginia. Um, and then late, you know, Florida Gulf Coast sort of was hanging around with Florida State. Uh, none of those teams were able to pull an outright win. But I, I agree with you. Overall, you know, it was good quality basketball. Um, I still found it very enjoyable, but as far as bracket busting goes, you know, there really wasn't too much going on. Yeah, and it, it's kind of what you want to see is everybody likes the upset, but when it comes down to it, you want um, you want the main teams there when it matters. So it was good because it was quality basketball, it was entertaining, but in the end, the teams you kind of want to move on, moved on. Is, is right. kind of how I thought. Like, you got Gonzaga – you know, it was it was entertaining. South Dakota State, they came out running early, and then Gonzaga put their foot down. They went by 20. Arizona, they did what Arizona was supposed to do. They dominated. But then you have, like, you know, Northwestern and Vanderbilt. That inning was insane. Vanderbilt fouling a guy when – what the hell was he thinking? Um, you got Wisconsin. Wisconsin, I'm a Badger fan, and they just – I'm shocked by everything they've done. We'll continue to talk about that. That team is just a mystery to me still. 
But uh, St. Mary's VCU was great. Just a lot of good basketball you know, on Thursday. Friday, Friday, much the same. Like we were talking about, um, kicked off right out the gate, that Michigan-Oklahoma State game. Just insanity. Um, but then other than that, not a whole lot, not a whole lot uh, went too crazy. What's your takeaway from Friday? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a good place to start. Uh, you mentioned the Michigan-Oklahoma State game. And if you like offense, that was your game. Um, you know, if you get into things like the Ken Palm numbers, you, you know, which I know a ton of people like to use um, in the, uh, you know, Twitter little gambling community we've got. Um, everybody knows about Ken Palm and, you know, Oklahoma State adjusted offensive efficiency wise, the number one team in the nation. Uh, Michigan, I believe, going into that game was fourth in adjusted offensive efficiency. So sure enough, you know, you've got what you expected given you know, that you've got two of the best offensive teams in the country. Um, no shortage of points, no shortage of three-pointers of offense going on in that game. And, you know, back and forth, just kind of pure entertainment. And um, I think, you know, first round-wise, that that was clearly the best game um, of the 32 that we had on Thursday and Friday. And, you know, I'm sure we'll get to the second round here in a minute. But, you know, seeing Michigan carry that uh, momentum with them, and, and taking care of Louisville um, over the weekend, it's it's really got my attention, and I I assume just about everybody's attention at this point. Yeah, there's a couple teams like we will get into that definitely have my attention. Michigan being one of them. That um, there's there's a couple regions, especially the East region, when you um your one and two seed are gone. That it's just certain things are, are you're going wow. Like you expect a couple things to get weird in regions, but that just um, Upset City took place on Sunday there. Um, yeah, 92-91. Don't see that every day. But then, you know, like Baylor does their thing. But you had USC. Um, Xavier on Thursday, one of the last teams in, took care of business. USC takes care of business on Friday. We'll get to both of those teams kind of, you know, making some noise over the weekend. One advanced, one didn't. But you got another 11 Rhode Island took care of Creighton pretty handily. They didn't really have an issue at all. Uh, but that was every that Rhode Island was kind of everybody's trendy pick, one would say. Right. Uh, you had uh, other other than that, for the most part, it kind of went business as usual. For one would say, I guess you could say Wichita State as a ten. But this brings me to my next question. Many thought Wichita State was misseeded. Before we get on to Sunday, I want to hear your opinion on this. What did you think of a lot of the seedings by the committee? Because like Minnesota as a five. Well, they definitely got exposed. Um, Wichita State is a 10. There's many, many other seedings. What did you think overall as the seeding? I, I agree with you. And, and the obvious one that jumps off the page was Wichita State. Um, they were criminally underseeded as a 10. And, and you know, the, the collateral damage of that, not only does it hurt them being a 10, but that's a terrible break for a team like Dayton, um, who I also thought was – a little bit underseeded as a seven, you know, they had an argument they could have possibly been a six. Um, but either way, you know, a team senior laden squad like Dayton with uh, seniors in the starting lineup, a team that's been there and battle tested and was just itching, you know, to make this last run and all of their senior years, their one final shot at it. And they get Wichita state, which was a top 10 uh, Ken Palm team. They're currently ranked five. Um, in Ken Palm's ratings. And here, you know, here they are, a 10 seed, which basically equates them to, you know, roughly a top 
40 team was just criminal. Um, and sure enough, you, you know, we saw them take care of Dayton and almost take care of Kentucky as well. Um, Minnesota, I couldn't agree with you more. Them being a five was a joke. And uh, they were exposed pretty quickly. So, you know, not a great surprise there. Uh, I thought, even though they lost, um, I thought SMU as a six was underseeded. They just ran into a hot USC team who's playing well at the right time. Um, but that's kind of disappointing as SMU is a team that I thought could make a run to the Sweet 16 and maybe even flirt with going to the Elite Eight. So to see them get bounced early it was a bit surprising. Um, off the top of my head, you know, those are the ones that really pop. There, there's a few others. Michigan as a seven. Um, a lot of people, you know, were, were crying foul on that as it was unveiled on the selection show. And sure enough, here we go. They're in the Sweet 16, and now they're even favored against Oregon. Um, so clearly, you know, Vegas knows that they were underseeded, and the lines are reflecting that. And so far, the results are as well. Yep. And that that's, yeah, th- those are pretty much the ones that come to mind right off the bat. Yeah, and that's one thing you said. You said a key thing there. Vegas sees it, and that's – on my, my last podcast uh, for the March Madness preview, I had uh, Riggs on from Barstool Sports, their college basketball guy. And he said the most important thing that you'll agree with and I agree with and many agree with is seedings are one thing, but one thing we all look at in our circle is look at the Vegas line, and the Vegas line will tell you who should be seeded where. Because yep. when a team is favored over the other, the number in front of them doesn't mean anything. Yep. So – um, start paying attention to that and don't worry about six first 11 or whatever it is. Cause you saw a lot of those lines over the weekend, even when they were, like I said, a six person 11, it was like a one point spread or a one and a half definitely yep. tells you the seedings weren't accurate. So there's a lot to be said to this. Um, but without talking about all that all night, let's move on to what took place over the weekend. Everybody was crying by the end of Friday that, Oh, chalk this, you know, nothing's taking place. Well, I tweeted out Saturday morning that, okay, now the tournament's beginning because now all the you know better teams, quote-unquote, have made it through. It's going to get fun. All hell broke loose over the weekend. Um, some of the main teams got through. Some didn't, did not make it. Um, that West Virginia-Notre Dame game, West Virginia shot out of their, their minds, which they played great. Let's move on to uh, the first number one that went down. Um, I don't know how this happened still. I thought the second um, um, Bronson got his fourth foul on a BS charge, it was over. Villanova went up seven. There's no chance. But um, somehow, by the grace of God, it happened. Um, Nova goes down. And then the dominoes just kept going. Xavier takes over against Florida State. And um, well, I guess it kind of went as planned there. But the nightcap, Purdue-Iowa State, was a barn burner. What do you got for Saturday? Well, first and foremost, you know, uh, Villanova obviously um, gets your attention when they go down. You know, the number one overall seed, the defending national champion, and kind of a tough break for them, too, seeding-wise. You know, not so much where they were seeded, but their opponent, um, you know, like I said, they're the defending national champ. They're the overall one seed. They get their cakewalk in the one sixteen game, and then their reward is a Wisconsin team that has pretty much the whole roster has been to multiple Sweet 16s. You know, they're battle-tested. They've played in big games. They've won big games. They've been playing together for a while now. It's a veteran team. 
Um, not that they're necessarily, you know, loaded talent wise, but there's a lot of cohesiveness and a ton of experience with that team. Um, and, you know, sure enough, they showed what they can do and they knocked out Villanova. Um, and just kind of the way the draw shakes out, you know, on one end, Villanova as a one gets Wisconsin in the second round. Whereas a team, team like Gonzaga, uh, gets a Northwestern in the second round. And to Northwestern's credit, they made that game interesting against Gonzaga. But, you know, that's a team that hadn't been in the tournament in God knows how many years. You know, they, they don't have a lot of experience. They don't have a ton of big game uh, players on that team. And, you, you know, again, like I said, to their credit, they made that game close. But I feel that's kind of a tough break for Villanova. You know, of course, they couldn't get a Northwestern. You know, they get stuck with a Wisconsin and uh, as a result, you know, lo and behold, they were the first kind of monster to fall. And, you know, I, I can't help but feel a little bit sorry for them. Yeah, definitely. And then um, you got to give Northwestern some credit on hindsight because it looked like Gonzaga was going to run them out of the gym in the first half. And Gonzaga or uh, Northwestern battled back. Gonzaga might be handed them some. Who knows how you want to look at it. But they made a game out of that. They did. Xavier game against Florida State. That one took me a little by surprise. Not a little, probably a lot by surprise. Now that Xavier went that one, they are a very good basketball team. <laughs> but by the manner that they won, that was a beatdown. It wasn't even really a game at all ever. Um, what do you think really happened to Florida State in that game? Well, gosh, I mean, it, with Florida State, and I did a, uh, a podcast with uh, – a guy that, that most of the people listening now um, will be aware of and that follow uh, Jordan Majeski. And we talked briefly about Florida State. And to a man, you know, we agreed, and a lot of other people who follow college hoops very closely kind of universally agree on this. Uh, Florida State's roster is, is loaded. There, there's NBA talent and lottery picks uh, all over that roster. Yet Leonard Hamilton you know, a great recruiter, but in-game coaching and prep-wise and X's and O's, I'm not crazy about Leonard Hamilton. I never have been. And and here we have it again. You know, Chris Mack with Xavier. Um, it, it, you know, if you told Chris Mack, hey, you can swap rosters right now, you know, you'll get the Florida State roster and they'll get yours, he would in a heartbeat. Um, but, you know, Mack is, is a much better in-game coach. He's much better with prep. He's much better with adjustments. And, you know, frankly, he took inferior athletes and inferior talent, took Florida State behind the woodshed, you know, which speaks not only, you know, like I said, um, kind of Leonard Hamilton's coaching deficiencies, but it also makes you wonder with Virginia also getting pounded by uh, Florida that same day and the Notre Dame game we mentioned earlier, um, you know, Louisville uh, losing to Michigan, just overall for the ACC, it, it really kind of makes you wonder, you know, a, a conference that many people were saying was not only the best conference in college basketball this year, but you had some, you know, out there in the media saying this is one of the best conferences in the history of college basketball. And, and you know, you get to the tournament and we're seeing one after the next. These teams are being beaten and not just beaten. I mean, like we said, with Florida State and Virginia, getting thoroughly mm -hmm. pounded and it makes you wonder, you know, were these all just good teams that were beaten up on each other and not necessarily great teams? You know, it, was it a little bit of fool's gold going on out there in the ACC? 
No, that's a great point because everybody, any show you turned on said the ACC best conference in basketball. They're going to have like nine plus teams in the tournament, blah, 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 blah. The brackets come out. Well, this team's going to have this road here. This It was almost like a foregone conclusion. This ACT team's going to win these games. Like it, There was no real competition for so many teams. And then the weekend's over, and you have UNC. I didn't even mention yeah. Duke. Duke went down, too. I, I forgot know. to mention them. I, I, had to, I had to re-look at this, the list. All you have left is UNC. And, and they, they were taken right down to the wire. I mean, they were behind late in that game too. Yeah, I had to double check myself real quick. That's all you have left. Um, that's impressive. It does make you really think about it. And then, like you look at it, um, everyone's so down in the Big Ten. Well, they've shown pretty well. You have uh, the Big Twelve. They've shown well. The SEC's got a couple, three schools left, and they were talked down on. You yeah. never know. You never yeah. know. But uh, let's get into Sunday's action where it just gets better. Kicks right off. Everyone's darling Michigan who ran through the Big Ten tournament and shocking people. They come out and they they beat a very very good, or maybe they're not. Now we're saying who knows. <laughs> talent wise, we talent wise we know they're very good. Yes, as a team, maybe not. That's what we're trying to say. We're not denouncing any of these teams' talents. Um, beats Louisville. You have Wichita State. Nearly upsetting Kentucky. First two games of the day, almost two two seeds gone. It was just almost out the gate. Michigan State, Izzo, his his mess all year was just a mess. Carolina survives, like you said. Oregon survives against Rhode Island. Baylor survives against USC. Duke goes down, and then UCLA does his thing. Every major seed besides Kansas had trouble on Sunday. <laughs> Every one of them. Yep. Yep. Um, Sunday was just pure chaos. I'll let you have the floor for a bit and talk some Sunday hoops. Um. Okay. Yeah. I mean, like you mentioned, it's it's tough to start anywhere other than Michigan, and, and we briefly touched on them earlier, so I won't beat a dead horse here. Um. And I do think Louisville is is a very good team. Uh. You know, it's just unfortunate they ran for for their sake. Unfortunate they ran into arguably the hottest team in the nation right now. If you look back at you know what they did in the Big Ten tournament what they did against OK State, um, and, of course, what happened Sunday. And, and what a lot of people don't truly understand with Michigan um, is how just excellent, and I don't use that word lightly, how excellent their offense really is because they don't play at a very uh, fast tempo. So due to that slow tempo, and, and this year they're ranked 340th out of 353 teams, or I'm sorry, 351 Division one teams and adjusted tempo. So they play at a real slow, deliberate pace. And due to that, their games are going to have fewer possessions. And, you know, so they're not lighting up the scoreboard in terms of total points. But if you look at them and things like points per possession, you know, three point shooting, lack of turnovers, on and on, all the advanced metrics, this Michigan offense is off the charts. I mean, it's, it's excellent. You know, they, with Beeline, they run beautiful half-court sets, and, and so oftentimes you see their possessions end in layups, dunks, open threes, just high-percentage shots. And uh, with Derek Walton, at point guard right now, just playing out of his mind, running that offense beautifully. Um, like I said, that that's pretty much what Michigan does, long possessions that end in high, high-quality shots. Um, and, and they're just hell to deal with right now. Um 
got a few other things, you know, and, and I hate to take up too much time on Michigan. Um, you know, takeaways from Sunday, like you said, a lot of scares, a, a lot of narrow escapes, but kind of the cream rising to the top, the good teams being battle tested. Um, you know, they get pushed, they get tested, they get challenged, but ultimately, as in the case of, like you said, UCLA, Kentucky, Oregon, North Carolina, Bailey found ways to get there. Um, and that's the sign of a good team. You know, when you're pushed, when you have a little adversity and things get a little hairy, uh, that you find a way to get there, you know, when 40 minutes is done, that, that does nothing but make you stronger the rest of the way. And, um, yeah, you know, it, it was impressive to see all those teams get, get a little tested, but still escape. That's a very good point. Um, a lot of those teams, especially on Sunday might be way, way better off come this weekend for some of those, those, because some of those teams literally had to battle back. They were down at the half. The the close score doesn't even show how close those games were. Some of them were losing at the half and had to battle back. Um, so definite, definite uh, learning experience and being battle tested, as you said, um, for those teams. Well, let's get into um, to the Sweet 16. We've got the action coming up. It's going to be wild as expected. Um, if your brackets aren't busted, congratulations. If they are, you and majority of the people around. Um, but there's still going to be great games, so tune in. We'll start in the West region, uh, kicking it off in San Jose, California. West Virginia taking on Gonzaga. I believe Gonzaga currently sits around minus three, give or take, at your book. Um, give me a little preview of what you're looking at in this one. Yeah, that's that, that's a tough game. Um, and with Gonzaga, it's always, you know, what have they seen competition-wise? Because playing in the West Coast Conference, Frankly, you know, once they hit mid-December, they're not really tested anymore. And I know St. Mary's is a nice team. They're a good team. They, you know, they went to the second round. They challenged Arizona a bit. Um, and, you know, Gonzaga saw them three times. But really, aside from that, and I even include Northwestern in this, who, to Northwestern's credit, they fought back valiantly Saturday to make that a close game. But I still don't consider them a team with, elite athletes or elite talent or anything like that. So, I mean, you, you could say Gonzaga hasn't seen the kind of athletes and the kind of talent that they're going to see um, from West Virginia since all the way back in early December, you know, when they were playing um, against Arizona, they played Florida in late November. But I mean, that's a long time that they've gone without seeing true elite athletes like West Virginia has. And, and you got to wonder you know, how they're going to be equipped to deal with, you know, the best press in the nation, uh, the defense that forces the most turnovers in the nation. It not saying that they can't do it, but I mean, it, it's going to be a tall task. West Virginia comes at them hard. They come at everybody hard. And uh, like I said, uh, Gonzaga has been working on nearly three months since they faced elite talent on the other end. So possibly to be concerned about with the Zags there. And in the nightcap, we have Arizona, the two seed versus the 11 seed. Xavier, Arizona sitting around minus seven and a half favorite. What do you have on that one? You know, Xavier is a dangerous team right now because they're playing with house money. Mm-hmm. You know, I they, they beat Maryland, and, and that's great. But I think Maryland, most people knew, was a bit of a fraud. They were kind of fool's gold. 
and that wasn't surprising in the least to me that they beat Maryland. And I, you know, I assume there were many others that weren't surprised by that. Um, but when they beat Florida State, that that raised some eyebrows. That got, and, and especially like we said in the fashion that they did, beating them by twenty five. So here they are as an eleven. They're in the Sweet Sixteen, um, you know, and and like I said, they're playing with house money. They have a great coach. They have a lot of veteran players on that team. Makura, Trayvon Blewett, uh, Argiers, who have been there. Uh, Rashad Gaston's getting more minutes lately. He's a senior. Sean O'Mara's been getting more minutes lately. He's a junior. Malcolm Bernard is a senior. There's a lot of experience on this team, and they know, you know, hey, what the hell? You know, we're having some fun. We've pulled an upset, or in the minds, you know, again, depending on how you view that Maryland game, two upsets. Just let's have some fun, you know. If we lose, it's been a hell of a run anyway. Um, and I think teams like that are dangerous. A great coach, experienced players, and playing with house money, catching, like you said, six and a half, seven points in this game. You know, you know, and Arizona's great, but it's it's pretty appealing uh, to get behind Xavier, at least for me, in a game like that. I can't blame you at all. I think Xavier's very, very live in this game. Very scary team. Very scary team. Um, if you had to pick, we're not talking spread-wise or anything, just to survive in advance for those two games, who would you take? Whew. Um, surviving, I mean, I'd, I'd still take Arizona to win the game. Um, ultimately, they're the more talented team. Um, you, you know, they're playing out west. You, you'd assume, you, you know, that they'll have more fans there than Xavier will coming out from Ohio all the way to San Jose. Um, so... Yeah, I'll go with Arizona with, you know, kind of the warning that Xavier could hang around and make that game interesting. And then in the other game, I, gosh, that's tough. I mean, I'll, you put a gun to my head, I'll go Gonzaga. Yeah. But but I would not be the least bit surprised if West Virginia beat them. That's almost the same answer I would have. Gun to head, it's Gonzaga. But I wish that was the nightcap. I don't know how that's the early game. I have no idea how that's the first game of the night. For, yeah. for the West Coast. I, that no. blows my mind. I agree with you. But uh, that's, that game should literally, on paper, should come down to the last shot unless Gonzaga has no chance with their zone, with the, the press. If right. the press just consumes them, it might be a, a blowout by a half. But Gonzaga is very talented, so nothing would surprise me with Gonzaga winning by double digits too. Like, they're that good. It's just a matter, like you said, can they, you know, get back in the mode of, playing the top talent instead of, you know, the WCC talent. Just how long does that take? But, yeah, that that should be a hell of a game. Let's go to the Midwest, the other Thursday night action, and we'll kick it off with the number three Oregon Ducks against the Darlings, the number seven Michigan Wolverines. Michigan is actually favored in this game by a point on the Ducks. Um, Give us a little breakdown on this one. Yeah, that's another one, like we said a few minutes ago. Um, don't pay attention to those seeds. You know, Oregon's got a 31 and five record. They're the number three seed. And on paper, you, you know, to the casual fan who looks at that, it's like, okay, this team has a better record. They're, you know, a three, Michigan's a seven, you know, what's going on? Why is Michigan favored? Well, and, and I won't go into Michigan anymore. I've, I've made clear how I feel about them. I'm very high on them. Um, and not only that with Oregon, uh, Chris, Chris uh, Boucher injury, who was a 6'10 senior, and one of the rarest skill sets 
uh, you'll find in the nation with that kid who can step out and knock down threes, yet he's also one of the elite shot blockers in the nation. And Oregon, you know, to their credit, they've won the first two games without him. But at some point, you lose a guy that talented with, like I said, that unique and special of a skill set. You're going to start to feel it a little bit. And, um, you know, there's still no shortage of talent on this Ducks team, you know, with Brooks and Dorsey, uh, Dylan Ennis, Jordan Bell. They're very talented. No one will deny that. But Boucher, his loss is going to start to hurt when, when you get in there against truly elite teams on the other end. And I think at that at this point, that's what we have to consider Michigan to be. Um, so you know, ultimately, I, I'm going to be on Michigan in this game. I, you know, that they're just they're. I don't know how else to put it. They're rolling along as well as anybody in the nation right now, and I'm certainly not going to step out in front of that train. No, and this is probably the wrong way to phrase it because this is one of those cliches you don't like to hear in gambling. But come tournament time you ride the hot hand sometimes and Michigan yeah. is yeah. that hot hand. I know it sounds cliche and it's not the proper way to quote unquote cap things, but <laughs> tournament times, there is definitely something to the hot hand theory and Michigan is that hot hand and it doesn't always work, but it definitely helps. I'm not going to say it doesn't hurt. <laughs> it doesn't help. <laughs> right. But uh, that should be another great game. All these should be really good games, but that should be an outstanding basketball game. And it's on the same time as the Gonzaga game, which is just ridiculous again. Um, The other game in the Midwest region, basically a home game for the number one Kansas Jayhawks, going up against the number four Purdue Boilermakers. Most have Kansas kind of having their way. They're a five-point favorite. I think this game could be very interesting. Uh, Purdue is not as – well. Depends on which Purdue shows up because I watch a lot of Big Ten basketball. They're either going to make this very interesting or they're going to get trucked by 20. Um, that's just the way. I, it's not going to be like an in-between. Um, what do you have on this one? You know, I, gosh, I, I have a future I took earlier this year, Kansas, 10-1 uh, to 1 to win the title, and I'm, I'm a little bit worried about it here. I'm probably going to do, do some hedging with uh, Purdue plus the points and hope in a perfect world to catch – a middle there with, you know, a narrow Kansas victory. Um, Purdue's got a very nice offense. They, they have two of the better – I mean, everybody knows about Caleb Swanigan, um, you know, who's an absolute force down low. But they also have Isaac Haas, who is a monster at a 7-2, flirting with 300 pounds. He's an absolute animal. And they, you know, work it from the inside out. You know, they pound it into those two big horses down low. And they surround them with an army of guys who can fill it up from three. I mean, you look up and down this roster, they literally have five or six guys who shoot it right around 40% or better from three. Swanigan himself into that mix, he steps out um, and has made 35 threes this year in 34 games. So, you know, an average of about a three a game, he shoots it at 43% from out there. And that's pretty much what they do. They pound it in there, and if you sag and you collapse on Haas or Swanigan, they kick it out, and pretty much everybody else on the roster can fill it up from three. So, so they're a handful to deal with. Um, but on the other end, you know, Kansas, and if you follow me on Twitter or have been following me throughout the season, you know how high I am on Kansas with Mason and Graham in the backcourt. Super stud freshman, uh, Josh Jackson. 
I, I've been saying all year that's the best trio in college basketball, and I'll take my chances against just about anybody. Um, and nothing has happened to make me change that point of view. I still feel that same way. So overall, I, I just think you're going to have an excellent game here. I've got a ton of respect for Purdue. I think they can hang around. I think they can make this game interesting. But ultimately, um, I think Kansas is going to find a way to pull this game out late, you know, and win by somewhere right around where that number is. I, I could see a three, four, five-point win, uh, you know, with Kansas just making one or two more big plays late. Michigan and Kansas moving on. I like it. Moving on to Friday night's action, we'll start in the South region. The number one North Carolina Tar Heels, some consider the most all-around more more balanced team in the nation, and they're still survived, unlike others. Against the number four Butler Bulldogs, North Carolina seven-point favorites. Kick us off in the South. Yeah, I, I agree with you. you. You know, you look at all these top teams, and, and basically I think the best way to gauge it is what team at their best is going to be better than anybody else's best. And I think that's North Carolina. If they find their peak, if they play at their top level, I truly think their top level is higher than any other uh, – than high, a higher level than I think any other team can get to. Um, so, you know, and this is also the kind of game against ba- – I'm sorry, Butler. If you're playing a pickup game, if you're picking teams, you're probably picking – you know, five or six Carolina players before you're touching a Butler player. Yet we've seen that in previous years with Butler where the talent and athleticism doesn't necessarily jump off the page. Um, Yet, you know, we've seen them in Final Fours. We've seen them in title games. We've seen them win big games in March time and time and time again with, you know, what almost universally would be agreed upon as inferior athletes compared to some of these powerhouse schools like a Carolina. So as easy as it would be on paper or even with the eyeball test to write off a team like Butler, I just don't know if you can do it, you know, considering how many times we've seen them in similar spots like this, when everybody wants to count them out, they scrap, they claw. And next thing you know, you know, there's five minutes left in the game and they're only down, you know, three or four points. Mm. So, Ultimately, I don't think I'm going to have a play on this game. I do think Carolina finds a way to win, um, but I've got too much respect for Butler to uh, to lay the points against them. Yeah, that that number is it's that number sucks. It's like it's it's too high. It's too high to take Carolina, but it's not low enough for me to want to take Butler. If that makes any sense. It's because it's just no, you know I how good, it's like, like what you're saying makes total sense. It's like you know how good Carolina is if they're so good if they show up because Butler's very talented, but like when they're starting fives off the floor and they bring their bench on, and then Carolina's bench comes on, well that's like a whole other starting five, right? So yeah. Can, yeah. can that can they pull away there? And then now that minus seven doesn't mean a darn thing, but. Like you said, Butler always – they play so fundamentally sound, such team basketball, that it's just a different animal. Should be a great game. Great one to sit back and watch for darn sure. Um, the chalk region, I should have called it, because it's the top four seeds advanced, but four very good seeds making for – there'll be three great games in the South, regardless of who wins these games. Um, a rematch of a game earlier this year that saw – 
like 200 points or something. We get UCLA, the three seed versus the number two seed, Kentucky. The spread right now, I believe, is around a pick which makes complete sense because I wouldn't even bet this game unless you really want to. I think this game is going to be outstanding. I like UCLA. I totally understand if you like Kentucky. This is why I wouldn't bet it. This is like literally anything can happen in this game. I won't bet it. I just like UCLA. I think it's awesome. What do you? Ha- what, what's your opinion on this? Yeah, I, I think you know there, there's really no debate that this is the best game of the Sweet 16. Um, entertainment wise, it ought to be off the charts. Um, you know, everybody knows about Lonzo Ball at this point. Um, Kentucky, as always, has an army of McDonald's All-Americans on that team, lottery picks, uh, NBA players, like always. Um, I, I'll be on Kentucky on the, in this game for a couple of – got tongue-tied there. I will be on Kentucky in this game for a couple of reasons. Um, first, and, and, and not exclusively, but I, I, I am big um, and a big believer in the revenge angle and UCLA going into Kentucky earlier this year and hanging a 97 on them and beating them um, at Rupp Arena. I think that's left a very bad taste in these kids' mouths. Um, you know, Calipari obviously wasn't happy about that. And and these are kids, um, like I said, on Kentucky that frankly aren't used to doing a lot of losing. So, you know, they'll have that going in their favor. And, you know, I, I challenge UCLA to play enough defense to win this game. I know that the defensive metrics – as the season have went on, have started to improve a bit. But on the whole, this is a team that, you know, now and then just kind of checks out defensively, frankly, because they are so talented offensively. It seems like sometimes they just get bored on defense and it's almost like, you know, let's get this defensive possession over with so we can get the ball again. Um, so, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll challenge them to play to play more defense than Kentucky, basically. Uh, Kentucky, despite what happened in, in early December against UCLA, they truly do have an elite defense. And to UCLA's credit, they carved them up in early December. But basically, I'll, I'll challenge UCLA to carve up that elite defense once again, and I'll also challenge them to you know, stay interested enough defensively for 40 minutes keep Kentucky under control. I can't argue any of those points. That's why I that's why I said I won't have any skin in this game. If you want to bet it, probably follow David on this one. He follows basketball way more than I do. I listen to him. One point I was thinking of while he was talking, um, with Kentucky teams every year, and this is why they always do great in the tournament, or usually do great in the tournament, not just because they have like seventeen McDonald Americans, and I know the roster is only twelve, I get it. Um, <laughs> it's uh they're young, so as the season goes on, they mature playing together. So in December till now, they've done a lot of maturing together. So the team they're going to play this weekend is going to be a lot different than the one in December. Absolutely. So that could be a big factor as well. So can't argue there. And I would be so down for a UNC Kentucky Elite Eight game. That would be outstanding. That would. That would. All right, real quick, let's get to the East region. Uh, this is the region of just natural disaster. Um, we got the number three Baylor is number seven, South Carolina, South Carolina, my secret team. I just in love with now because you took down Duke. I'm just so happy. I had to say something. I haven't talked trash on Duke all podcasts. I had to say something. Um, I'll okay. keep it just to that. I'll be nice. 
But Baylor, South Carolina, I'll let you take it away. <laughs> um, yeah, Baylor, you know, I Scott Drew, I, I think, has got a little bit of Leonard Hamilton in him and that he's a great recruiter. Um, and, and credit to him for the success he's had at Baylor. But as far as, again, prep and adjustments and in-game coaching, I think there's a lot to be desired with Scott Drew. Um, you, you know, and, and as the tournament gets deeper, you, you know, and he starts to face a little better teams, a little better coaches, you kind of wonder, um, you know, when is he – when is the true uh, Scott Drew going to kind of rear his head and do something stupid that costs his team a win – even though he's got the superior athletes. I think that might be here um, against Frank Martin in South Carolina. And and I know we're kind of uh, running somewhat short on time, so I won't go too long on this. But in a nutshell, with South Carolina, you get a mediocre offense. There's no denying that. Their offense is very mediocre. But defensively, they – and if you haven't seen them yet, you know, they really get into you. And they lock you up on defense. They pick you up you know, sometimes five, 10 feet beyond the three-point line, and they just latch into you with the jaws of death and make life absolutely miserable for you on the offensive end. Um, They force long possessions. They force a ton of turnovers. They force a ton of contested shots. You know, they're, like I said, if you haven't seen them, watch them, and you'll see what I'm talking about. They're pure hell on defense to deal with. Um, And I know, you know, over them uh, taking care of Duke. They're already a bit of a Cinderella, you know, and and I'm I'm honestly expecting them to take care of Baylor too and and make their way to the Elite Eight as a seven seed. Elite defense and give me the better coach, and and I'm going to take my chances that that they knock off Baylor. Well, people can't forget South Carolina started out the season as one of the best teams in the SEC. They took Kentucky to the wire. I think they beat Kentucky. They They almost beat Kentucky. They challenged them. And they're only three and a half point dogs as a seven versus a three. So again, the seating, think about it, people, a lot closer game than the numbers tell you. Right. Um, the other game in the East region, and this is just kills me because I want to watch Kentucky and UCLA so bad, but alas, I won't because we have the eight seed Wisconsin Badgers facing the four Florida Gators. Florida is only a two point favorite against the Badgers. Um, I'll let you take this away this should be another excellent game and a lot of what I said about South Carolina and their defense um, absolutely elite defense they force a ton of turnovers on and on um, force a ton of contested shots you know they have a lot of size they have a lot of versatility um, they, they have a lot of wings who are flexible enough to switch and, and you know guard multiple positions um, you know, they're, they're, they're every bit the def- defensive challenge and defensive nightmare that South Carolina is. So Wisconsin's going to have to deal with that. But on the flip side, as I mentioned earlier, when talking about Wisconsin, these guys have all been there. Like you go up and down that Wisconsin roster, and these are guys who are used to winning. You know, uh, Nigel Hayes, Bronson Koenig, especially um, as seniors, those guys are used to winning. Flat out, they get into March every year and they win games. Uh, Ethan Happ, only a sophomore, so not quite, you know, as many big games as guys like Hayes and uh, Koenig, but, you know, he, he's their best player. He's a force down low. He seems to be cut from the same cloth as those other guys and the winning Wisconsin way. 
Uh, Vito Brown is another guy. He's a senior. He's used to winning. On and on, Zach Showalter, same thing. A senior. He's been there. He's been through the wars. He's used to winning. So this is one, ultimately, I think I'm going to sit out just out of respect for both teams. Um, on paper, I think Florida is a little more talented. I think they're a little bit better, but you're not going to see me uh, in any hurry to jump out some team with, like I said, just uh, an army of seniors and experienced players who know how to play in big games, who know how to win big games, and have proven that you know time and time and time again in March over the years. Gun to your head, Florida, Wisconsin. Oh God! Straight, straight up. <laughs> oh man. Just straight up. Yeah, gun, straight gun up. to my head. Straight up, gun to my head, I'll go with Florida. Okay. Because now, now we got to do the predictions real quick. So now I got your lead eight. In the West, we got Gonzaga okay. versus Arizona. Midwest, Michigan, Kansas. South region, I got UNC, Kentucky. East region, I got South Carolina, Florida. Let's build it out. West region, who's your final four, Gonzaga or Arizona? Oh, boy. Um I'll go Arizona. Okay. Uh, Midwest, Michigan, or Kansas? I'm going to go Kansas. And the South, UNC, or Kentucky? I'll go Carolina. And in the the East, Florida or South Carolina? I'll go Florida there. Okay. And out of your last four teams, Zona, Kansas, UNC, Florida, who is your national champion? Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> that's tough. I, I'll stick with what I said about 10 minutes ago and playing to their highest level. If Carolina can play to their highest level, their highest level is better than anybody else's. Um, so I'll, I'll go with the heels for now. I like it. I have them in uh two brackets, so I'd be all aboard that heel train. <laughs> awesome, man. That was good stuff. Great information. Um, I'm definitely going to have to have you on again for baseball's talk. We're going to have to get into it uh, in the season and uh, get going. Uh, if anybody doesn't know, follow David on Twitter at DavidDeman2, David, D-A-M-A-N-2. Uh, also go to his website, DavidDeman.com. He runs multiple fantasy baseball leagues. If you're interested, check him out on Twitter. Hit him up. Let him know. Any last words? No, man, I'm, I'm glad we were able to get on the same page. You know, glad we were able to do this. And, and like you said, with baseball right around the corner, I know we're kind of cut short for time this afternoon. But, you know, whenever you want to have me back, we'll discuss a little, uh, a little baseball, and I'd be happy to do it, man. Happy to run it back. Yeah, for sure. We'll definitely do it. I can talk baseball all day, every day. So, uh, yeah, we'll do it. And for now, thanks for this. Enjoy the games this weekend. And, everybody, this was Bench with Bubba, episode 30. Your uh, Sweet 16, Elite 8, March Madness edition. We will catch you guys next time. Hey, Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.